1: Hi, I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. And this is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Lakeland, Florida. Lakeland is the largest city in Polk County with approximately 112,000 residents and is located about 40 miles east of Tampa. Traditionally, the largest industries in the area are citrus, cattle, and phosphate mining. However, in recent decades, tourism, medicine, and music have grown in importance. Lakeland is also home to the oldest private four-year university in the state, Florida Southern College, which was founded in 1883. In 1938, the college president, Lud Spivey, invited famed architect Frank Lloyd Wright to design a great education temple in Florida and Wright worked on it for over 20 years. As a result, Lakeland is home to the largest one-site collection of Frank Lloyd Wright architecture in the world. The college president was attempting to draw students to the school, knowing that with education comes opportunities. But in 2006, opportunity presented itself to one Lakeland resident with very little effort on his part. He won a $30 million lottery. Was he the luckiest guy in the world, or did he now have a target on his back?
2: On November 15, 2006, Abraham Shakespeare was 39 years old and lived at home with his mom. He was assisting truck driver Michael Ford, helping him deliver meat overnight to fast food restaurants and help Ford unload the cargo. On that night, their route would take them almost four hours south to Miami. They stopped at a convenience store to get some gas, and when Ford went into the store to get some food, Abraham asked him to buy two $1 quick pick lottery tickets for him while he stayed with the truck. The next day, Abraham found out that he won a $30 million jackpot. However, six months later, in April of 2007, Michael Ford, the co-worker, sued Abraham, claiming he was the one who bought the lottery tickets and Abraham stole the tickets from him. Ford said when he bought the two quick pick tickets, including the jackpot winner, he put the tickets in his wallet and then put his wallet in the glove compartment of the truck the two men were using. Ford was driving and Abraham was a passenger in the vehicle and in his lawsuit, Ford claimed Abraham stole the lottery tickets from his wallet when he wasn't looking. Superstar lawyer Willie E. Gary was hired by Abraham to represent him in the lawsuit. On May 21, 2007, so about a month after the suit was filed, attorney Gary countered Ford's lawsuit with a $100 million lawsuit against Ford for defamation. In his defamation suit, Abraham accused Ford of trying to extort him for $1 million, and when the extortion attempt failed, Ford sued Abraham and accused him of stealing the ticket. Kath, what I thought was interesting is Abraham's attorney, Willie Gary, Mm -hmm. said because they had such divergent tales about what happened with the ticket, that it would take years and years for it to work its way through the courts. However, it did not take years to sort out. A five-day trial was held just five months after Ford filed the lawsuit. During trial, Ford's lawyers repeatedly brought up Abraham's criminal past. Abraham admitted in court to seven felony and three misdemeanor convictions. Attorney Gary angrily attacked the tactics of Ford's lawyers, saying they were just piling dirt on Abraham and distracting the jury from the pertinent issues.
1: Kath as a side note, you can introduce evidence of felony convictions and civil litigations to sort of impugn someone's honesty. And misdemeanors, that's a... Uh,
2: the bridge too far. Well, may may come in, may not. According to an article in the Tampa Tribune by journalist Todd Laskanik, the case turned on the testimony of five co-workers all of whom testified that Ford initially told them that he had purchased the tickets for Abraham. Only later did Ford change his story to say Abraham stole the tickets from him. Ford's attorney, Arnold Levine, said that it boiled down to a question of who the jury was going to believe. Ford denied making the statements that he purchased the tickets for Abraham, but the witnesses did not necessarily have a motive to lie. So, Kath, basically, Abraham's attorney, Gary, pointed out that these five
1: co-workers Did not know Abraham Shakespeare, so why would they come in and lie? Why would they come in and commit perjury on his behalf? Exactly.
2: It took a jury one hour and 19 minutes to decide that Abraham did not steal the two Florida lottery tickets from his co-worker's wallet. After the jury verdict, Michael Ford appealed, but Abraham Shakespeare continued to live his life as a newly minted millionaire. On November
1: 25, 2009, just two years after the jury's verdict, the Polk County Sheriff's Office was asking the public for help in finding Abraham Shakespeare. His cousin, Cedric Edom, reported Abraham missing two weeks earlier and told detectives that Abraham had not been seen since early April of that year, which was seven months prior. Two weeks after Cedric reported his cousin missing, the Polk County Sheriff's Office announced a $5,000 reward with the hope that someone would come forward with information about Abraham's whereabouts.
2: On December 13, 2009, journalist Michael Cruz with the Tampa Bay Times wrote an article that detailed the history of Abraham Shakespeare before he won the lottery and asked the questions about his disappearance. Was he fed up, or was it foul play? In the article, Cruz wrote that on the day Abraham bought the lottery ticket, he was 39 years old, had $5 in his wallet, and was making $8 an hour. He had no car, no driver's license, and no credit cards. Growing up, Abraham spent time in homes for juvenile offenders, and although he was described as having a 7th grade education, He could barely read and write. He also had a long criminal history, which included loitering, driving without a license, and failure to pay child support, as well as more serious arrests for theft and assault. And the last time he got out of prison was 1995. Abraham worked a series of minimum wage jobs, and on the day he bought the winning lottery ticket, he was employed as a day laborer. When he won the $30 million, Abraham opted for the $17 million lump sum payout. And after taxes, he took home a little more than $11 million. A bird in the
1: hand is worth two in the bush. I would always take the cash payout.
2: Agreed. Yeah. The first thing that happened when he went to collect his winnings was the government came in, and in addition to taking the taxes, they also deducted the amount of money he owed for child support, which after taking home $11 million, I'm not sure the $9,000 really registered. It was penis. Penis. Could you emphasize the T a little bit more on that? (laughs) (laughs) Why? You think I'm yelling
1: penis, penis? (laughs) Well, you've been known to do it. (laughs) Given the right set of circumstances. (laughs) Uh, Okay. First came the generosity to his family and friends. He gave his stepfather $1 million and his three stepsisters each received $250,000. He gave his mother $12,000 and his sister $10,000. That's quite a discrepancy. I did make note of that. Yeah. He also gave his brother's son's best friend $40,000 and paid off a friend's $185,000 mortgage. Then came the hangers-on. He paid off a $60,000 mortgage for a man whose last name he did not know. And paid off a $53,000 mortgage for a man from his neighborhood. He also bought a house in the neighborhood where he grew up for 125,000, and he'd only seen the house once before buying it, and then he rented it to some tenants he had only met once. He wrote cashiers' checks to friends, and he paid for funeral expenses for others. After the Polk County Sheriff's Office announced Abraham was missing, Sheriff Grady Judd said it was common knowledge that people were tugging on him. So for himself, Abraham bought two cars, a Ford F-150 2006 pickup truck and a 2007 BMW 750i. That's a car I can get behind. I'll take the F-150. On January 7, 2007, almost two months after winning the lottery, Abraham bought himself a new house for $1.1 million. The house was in a gated community and it was huge more than 6,500 square feet with an ornate brick and stucco exterior. The house itself was surrounded by a fence with its own surveillance cameras and had two two-car garages and a pool.
2: Just four months after buying his house, so we're now in May 2007, this was when he was sued by his former co-worker Michael Ford, who said that Abraham had stolen the lottery tickets right. from him. Right, mm-hmm. Now, as part of this lawsuit before they went to trial, it came out in this article we referenced in the Tampa Bay Times by Michael Cruz that Ford's attorneys had actually done a background investigation at the time into Abraham Shakespeare. The attorney who represented Ford in the lawsuit, a man named Arnold Levine, said that it was his sense that some of Abraham's family members were unhappy with the amount of money he had given them, and Levine assumed a lot of people were actually jealous of his new fortune. And you know what's funny about this? This actually reminds me of a story about Oprah. I like how you say her name as though she's your friend. (laughs) She is my friend. Who's with me? She's everyone's friend. But she didn't give me a new car yet. I'm still waiting for that. How dare she? But speaking of that, though, she was being interviewed for something and she was talking about kind of the burden of wealth. And she said that one time it was when she was being sued, it had something to do with meat in Texas. And I don't remember what it was, but she was sued for something. And she was in the middle of a court trial and her father was. Desperately trying to get a hold of her. And so finally, they got a recess because she thought someone died. She thought, you know, someone was in a horrible accident. And he was calling because he was at the Mercedes dealership and she had to promise that she would pay for her dad's car. Oh my goodness. And so that's what this reminded me of when I saw it because I remember at the time, like, there is a burden to being that wealthy and not having family members along with it. Oh, hell yeah. Which is why, Kathy, my sister, and I all have a deal that if we win the lottery, it's split in three. We split three ways. Doesn't it doesn't matter, matter who, who buys it. the
1: ticket, it doesn't matter when it's bought. It's a three way split no matter what.
2: Exactly. Because then we can leave all of our other friends behind, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we'll still
2: have each other. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it was funny because when I was thinking about what this attorney was saying, Abraham Shakespeare buys himself a million dollar home in a gated community and then that home itself has walls around it and
2: cameras. Yes. So it's like I get it at some point you have to be protective. Right. I agree. So in Abraham's deposition before the lottery ticket trial, Mm -hmm. he actually had said in the deposition that he had some women living with him. There were three in total. He only knew the last name of one of them. Wow. And that makes me sad for him. Yeah, no kidding. So Abraham's appellate attorney. So this is after Michael Ford had appealed the verdict. Uh Uh-huh. It was a man named Jim Valenti. And he said that the first time he met with Abraham, there were 10 people in the room with him. And he was never introduced to them. They never talked to him. And he didn't know if they were advisors. He didn't know if they were friends. And, of course, the assumption was they were hangers-on. Yeah. He had a posse at this point. Right. Right. Appellate attorney Valenti would not tell journalist Cruz how much of Abraham's lottery winnings were left by the time Valenti met Abraham. And this was a little over two years after he had won the lottery. Mm -hmm. But the attorney did say it was really sad, which makes me think there wasn't a lot left. Valenti said, I'm not sure by whom, but I think he'd been taken advantage of. He was a man who was very weary by the time he got to me. I wonder if Abraham wouldn't say that he would like to go back to the day before he won that money. The last appeals hearing on this case, Kathy, was on May 27th, 2009, but Abraham never showed up for it because, as we've said, nobody had heard from him in more than a month by this time. Right. And here's the thing. The fact that Abraham wasn't at the hearing
1: is probably of no consequence. Appellate argument doesn't require the client to be there. The hearing went forward and Abraham's attorney won the appeal. So, as we said earlier, Abraham's cousin, Cedric Edom, filed a missing persons report with the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Once he did so, posters were hung up around town, which described Abraham Shakespeare as a black male, six foot five, 190 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. The poster listed the $5,000 reward along with a tip line to call. Authorities would not release the number of tips that had come in only saying that none of the tips had led them to find Abraham. Sheriff Judd said that his disappearance was being treated as suspicious and homicide was a possibility. Tampa Bay Times journalist Michael Cruz spoke with a man at one of Abraham's old hangouts, the Super Choice grocery store. He said that he was Abraham's best friend, and to find Abraham, everyone needed to go ask that white woman where Abraham was. According to the article, that white woman was Doris donegan Moore, who went by Dee, Dee.
2: Okay, Kath. So I read that Dee, Dee owned a medical staffing company, mm-hmm. and the way that she met Abraham was actually in November of 2008. So this is about 2 years after he had won the lottery, mm-hmm. and he met her through a woman named Barbara Jackson, who was the realtor who sold Abraham his house. Dee, Dee told the realtor Barbara that she was also a writer and wanted to do a story, possibly even a book, on Barbara and Abraham. So Barbara set up a meeting. It's always playing to the ego. Got to get yeah, the ego no involved. no kidding. Barbara told journalist Michael Cruz that when she met
1: Didi, Didi was actually in a wheelchair after having been in a car accident. But when they met up at Abraham's house fewer than two weeks later, Didi pulled up in a Hummer, hopping out wearing heels, and walking without a problem to the front door. When Barbara asked her about the injury from the car accident, Dee Dee told her that she had healed herself through scuba therapy. According to the article, after Dee, Dee met Abraham, she did several curious things. Fewer than two months after meeting Abraham on January 9, 2009, she bought Abraham's house, the one he had purchased two years prior for $1.1 million, and she was now paying him $655,000. A month after Didi bought the house, she created and then became the sole member of Abraham Shakespeare, LLC, taking over his affairs and buying the debts people owed him. Meaning there were eight people to whom Abraham had loaned money, which totaled almost $600,000. So Didi now owned those loans.
2: So they now owed the money to Didi. Not to Abraham. Well, to the
1: LLC, of which she is the sole member.
2: And I'm willing to bet when he loaned that money, though, he probably did it never intending to get the money back. I agree with
1: you 100%. He was probably like, here you go. Uh, Yeah, this is a loan. loan."
2: Right. But he's not
1: going to take the time to do debt collection. Well, and he'd been so generous with so many other people. Correct. Four days after creating the LLC, Dee Dee Moore filed for divorce, ending a 17 year marriage. In his article, journalist Michael Cruz also revealed an incident involving Dee, Dee Moore that occurred eight years prior. So in 2001, Dee, Dee drove a Lincoln Navigator. Now, market value was $36,000, but she owed $46,000. She parked it in a garage and got an accomplice to tie her up, drive her to a different city, and throw her in a ditch. When a passerby stopped to help, she told them that she had been raped at gunpoint by three Hispanic men who stole her navigator. Didi was subsequently convicted of insurance fraud and falsely reporting a crime and received one year of probation.
2: So one thing I do know hmm. is don't do insurance fraud. Those yeah. people have investigators that will rip oh. you apart.
1: Oh, it is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. One week after Abraham was reported missing, so now this is the end of November 2009, Didi told the Ledger newspaper that she helped him disappear, saying this is what he wanted because he was falling behind on child support again. He had a second son now and was required to make two child support payments. Dee said that Abraham was tired of people continually bugging him for money he no longer had, and she said that Abraham intentionally did not want to be found.
2: On January 7, 2010, so just about a month after Abraham was reported missing, Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd told Associated Press journalist Tamara Lush that he suspected Abraham had been killed. Judd said there were a lot of bizarre circumstances in the case and investigators were working the case as if it were a homicide. Judd said they had a person of interest in the case, Dee Dee Moore. Detectives said that Dee, Dee began using Abraham's cell phone in April of 2009 to text his relatives and friends pretending to be Abraham. So, Kath, Dee, Dee was cornered by journalists when she was driving away from her house one day mm-hmm. after the sheriff had said this. She's in her Hummer that was described earlier, and she was in tears as she told the newspaper reporters that the police had questioned her about his disappearance and searched her home, her Hummer, and her hard drive. They had also given her a lie detector test and checked for blood. Did she tell them all this? Yeah. Okay. She also told them, I'm not going to be O.J. Simpson and run. She also gave one of the reporters a video that she took of Abraham that was done earlier in the year. And she said that it was proof that he had actually disappeared of his own free will. What was on the video? So it showed him at first scrolling through images that were from his surveillance cameras on his property. And so she asked him if he was tired of people asking him for money. And his response was, they don't take no for an answer. So wait a second. She is recording with her phone, him scrolling through his own phone. No, he wasn't on the phone. He was looking at the surveillance camera, like, you know, the video feeds of it on the little monitors. Oh, okay, like OK. He had those monitors set up kind of like you see. Got it. In rich people's homes that you exactly. have never been in.
1: <laughs> video monitors I've never seen in person. Go ahead. Exactly.
2: You know, the movies. <laughs> so he was kind of scrolling through this. And so on the video, you could see him kind of looking at who was around, what had been done. So, when she asked him, Do you get sick of people asking you for money? He said, They don't take no for an answer. She then said, Where do you want to go? He said it didn't matter to him that he wasn't picky. And then she said, Well, where do you want to go? California, Cozumel, a foreign country? And then she asked him if he was going to miss his home. He then seemed to get really irritated with her at this point. And he was like, Turn the camera off, turn the camera off. She did not. And a little while later, he did answer her question about, are you going to miss your home by saying, "Eh, I might miss it, but life goes on. So this is the video that she was showing her reporters to be like, oh, look, he's hiding. Yes, there was nothing nefarious about his disappearance. It was a choice. Now, those who knew Abraham before he won all that money said it actually didn't make any sense for him to disappear. He still showed up every day at the Super Choice grocery store to hang out with them. One friend said that Abraham wasn't tired of the attention, but he thrived on it because he went from nobody to a person of importance and in demand or to, quote, Kathy with a C, he was the cock of the walk.
1: Once authorities began looking for Abraham and looking at the people in his life, there were constant questions and oddities to investigate. In a January 26, 2010 article in the Tampa Tribune by journalist Josh Pultolove, A Lakeland police officer was arrested the day before, accused of accepting money from Dee Dee Moore to give her information from the law enforcement databases. Polk County authorities said the officer, 42 years old and a 20-year member of the Lakeland Police Department, gave more information about vehicle owners after she gave him tag numbers. Young was charged with unlawful compensation and misuse of confidential information.
2: So, Kath, I read that for this information, Dee, Dee gave him $200 in cash and paid for a round-trip plane ticket from Texas to Florida for Young's daughter.
1: Over the next several days, journalist Josh Pultilov covered breaking news in the ongoing search for Abraham. Investigators from Hillsborough and Polk counties were searching property owned by Dee Dee's boyfriend, Char Kresniki in Plant City, Florida, which was about 20 minutes west of Lakeland crime scene investigators were walking the property with metal detectors and shovels with an evidence van parked out front. At a press conference, Hillsborough Sheriff's Colonel Albert Frost said investigators would probably work at the property for several days, but would not comment on whether deputies were working on a homicide investigation. He said the release of details could jeopardize the case, and they still had a lot of unanswered questions. Although the property was owned by Dee's boyfriend, it was actually being rented out by an attorney named D. Howard Stitzel. So he lived and worked there, Kath. And this was 2009. So he was more than 10 years ahead of COVID for working remotely? That's that's exactly (laughs) right. During the search, Stitzel's lawyer spoke to the press and he basically said, hey, look, Stitzel handled a child support matter for Abraham in late 2008, which was when he last saw Abraham. What Stitzel's lawyer did not mention was that Stitzel represented Dee, Dee Moore and helped transfer assets from Abraham to her medical staffing business. However, authorities did point out that there was no credible evidence to suggest that this attorney, Stitzel, was
2: involved in Abraham's disappearance. Kath, just a side note, that these transfers that Stitzel worked on Had happened after Abraham disappeared. Exactly.
1: Kath. Why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food.
2: What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20 minute video explaining step by step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health.
1: And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell.
2: I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. or crazy. A
1: little <laughs> bit. So if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to BadlandsFood.com killerd Killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com killerd Killer D. On January 28, 2010, so about two months after Cedric reported his cousin missing, authorities announced they found a body buried about five feet deep underneath a 30-foot-by-30-foot slab located 100 yards behind property owned by Krasniki, Didi's boyfriend, the Hillsborough and Polk County Sheriff's offices, the Medical Examiner's office, And members of the University of South Florida's Anthropology Department remained at the scene after uncovering the remains. Now, Kath, they used anthropology students and professors because they knew how to essentially dig up remains and allow them to remain intact. Oh, wow. And it was reported that the individuals from the Anthropology Department used brushes and they only removed four inches of dirt at a time. Early the next morning on Friday, January 29, 2010, the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office confirmed that by using fingerprints, they were able to identify the remains as those of Abraham Shakespeare. 5 days after Abraham's body was found, authorities announced that an autopsy showed that he died from two 38 caliber gunshot wounds to the chest. Tori Butler, the mother of Abraham's 1-year-old son, said that she was shocked and saddened by what happened to Abraham. She had held out hope that one day he would suddenly reappear. Tori said that she had not seen him in almost a year, the last time was around Valentine's Day 2009, but she was suspicious something was wrong when she started receiving text messages from his phone. According to Tori, Abraham was not good at reading or writing and rarely ever texted. One of Abraham's texts to her was so lengthy that she shared it with a friend, believing that it was not actually from him. Tori said she would one day tell her son that Abraham was a good man and had a good heart. He'd just met the wrong people.
2: Three days after the beginning of the search of Krasniki's property, Dee Dee Moore was arrested as an accessory after the fact for trying to conceal his murder. In an affidavit released after her arrest, investigators said that she had recently asked an unnamed witness whether or not he knew anyone who was awaiting sentencing and would be willing to take the rap for killing Abraham. She also told the same unnamed witness to dig up the body and move it to another location. Authorities said that Dee Dee showed the unnamed witness where the body was buried on January 25th and provided a pickup truck to transport it, along with bleach and plastic sheeting. This never happened because it coincidentally was the next day when police started searching the property. For the accessory after the fact charge, a Hillsborough County judge ordered her held on $1 million bail, but she was not allowed to post bail unless she could prove that the assets she was using were legally obtained.
1: Which, by the way, is fairly common. Investigators do this when you're accused of financial fraud, and things like that.
2: It makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah.
1: And it's a good way to keep people
2: in jail. Absolutely. Yeah. On Saturday, February 6, 2010, a funeral was held for Abraham Shakespeare at New Bethel AME Church. Family and friends attended the ceremony, which included a gospel rendition of Amazing Grace and featured a part dance, part mime performance representing the transition to the afterlife. Polk County Sheriff Major Joe Hellman Jr. was one of the speakers. He said, The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. This is the hour we live in. None of Abraham's family members spoke, but a poem written by Abraham's brother was read by one of the mourners. Two days after the funeral, deputies from Hillsborough
1: and Polk counties were hard at work looking for answers. They spent the day searching Dee Dee Moore's home for financial records of how she handled Abraham's lottery winnings. Polk County Sheriff Judd said that Dee Dee took nearly $2 million of Abraham's cash and assets and put them in her own accounts. The two sheriff's departments were working together to unravel Moore's financial dealings, including property purchases and sales, cash transfers, and incorporations. And not only were they looking for how the money was spent, but they were also looking for who helped spend it. According to the search warrant application, investigators were seeking business and financial records, tax forms, and electronic documents dealing with Abraham, Dee Moore, Kresnicki, the boyfriend, and the lawyer who was living at the property, Howard Stitzel. They were also looking for stocks, car titles, auto sales, as well as letters, telephone records, and printouts of text messages. Nine days after police searched her home, Dee Dee Moore was charged with first-degree murder. She had been previously charged as an accessory after the fact, but now, with all this electronic data, they charge her with first-degree murder. Bail was denied, and Dee Dee was held at the Hillsborough County Jail.
2: So, Kev, I was watching an episode of Crime Watch Daily on YouTube. It was a January of 2019 episode, and it showed a clip of detectives bringing Dee Dee in to be booked for first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. So her hands were cuffed behind her back, and one of the detectives was holding her arm as he was leading her through the station. So they paused for a minute, and Dee Dee turned and looked at him, and she said to him, I hope you're still going to look for all the people who did it. Without missing a beat, the detective responded... Well, I've got one of them in my hands right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) At one point when I was doing the research, I read, you know, she was speaking with an investigator, a law enforcement officer, and she knows that he's got a beat on her. She's on his radar. So she says to him, I'm very attracted to you. I hope when this is all done, we can have sex. (laughs) Oh, my God. She wasn't so subtle in her manipulation. No, she was not. But tell me, how did he respond? You know, I didn't get that part. Oh, that would have been the best part. I know. I know. Maybe he was like, OK. Yeah. <laughs> Approximately two weeks later, March 9, 2010, it was announced that Dee Dee Moore was granted a public defender after court papers were filed stating that she only had $100 in the bank. At the beginning, she had a private attorney. Which she was
2: accessory to murder?
1: Exactly. But now with first degree, she was like, uh, yeah, can't handle this. But the interesting thing was that the attorney who wound up representing her during her trial was a guy named Byron Heilman. So I believe that he did private cases, but he was also on the county panel if the public defender's office was conflicted or couldn't handle the caseload or whatever. So he was her appointed counsel, which was lucky for her because he was an extremely experienced attorney. And here's a crazy thing. He was almost 70 when he tried her case, but everybody basically said he was at the top of his game. He had done like over a hundred capital cases. Wow. Yeah. He was no slacker, and she was fortunate to have him appointed as her attorney.
2: With Circuit Judge Emmett Lamar Battles presiding, jury selection began on Monday, November 26, 2012, three years after Abraham was first reported missing and six years after Abraham won $30 million in the Florida lottery. After two days, eight men and four women were selected. During opening statements, Assistant State Attorney Jay Pruner told the jury that Dee Moore took calculated, deliberate steps to steal the last of Abraham's millions and then hid his body and the truth from investigators. He described Dee Moore as a woman who preyed on Abraham's kindness and took advantage of his illiteracy and ignorance in financial matters to take his remaining money for herself. Abraham was afraid he would lose the last of his money in a child support lawsuit, and Pruner said Didi played up that fear and convinced Abraham to transfer his money into joint accounts that they set up or accounts held solely by her. Pruner said it was Didi's greed that led to Abraham's death. Defense attorney Byron Heilman countered that Dee just wanted to help Abraham through a difficult time, and it was Abraham's idea to set up joint accounts and an LLC to help him collect money he had lent to friends. And it was Abraham who expressed an interest to get away from everything and everyone. Heilman further stated that there was no physical evidence at the crime scene that pointed to Dee and suggested that there was someone else responsible for Abraham's death. On the third day of trial, Judge Battles stopped proceedings to admonish Dee, Dee Moore to restrain herself. The judge described Dee Dee's animated responses to witness testimony and evidence, including an hour-long video of her interview with Polk County Sheriff's Detectives Christopher Lynn as an attempt to, quote, speak from that table rather than from the witness stand, end quote. So, Kath, there were probably seven or eight times during this trial where the
1: judge stopped the proceedings And a couple of times he emptied out the courtroom or he waited till the courtroom was on break or whatever. But he would admonish her to stop with her facial expressions, her hand gestures, her nodding, her shaking her head.
2: She cried at certain points too, didn't she?
1: Yeah. At one point she's bawling and he's like, You have to collect yourself. And here's the point the jury watches everything. Of course. And he doesn't want people, quote unquote, testifying from the gallery or testifying from counsel table, which is what she was doing. And I'm guessing she was doing it intentionally. Oh, I'm sure. Or she couldn't control her impulse to do so. Right. You know, so but he was getting very frustrated with her. But this is a very common thing for judges to get upset about.
2: The prosecution had played several videos that had elicited these reactions from Dee Dee Moore. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest one was when Detective Dave Clark's video was shown. So what had happened is after Abraham's cousin Cedric had reported him missing... Detective Clark had asked Dee, Dee Moore to come down to the station to be interviewed. This was an interview that was being videotaped. Mm-hmm. So Detective Clark said to Dee, Dee, hey, I'm hearing some rumors here that you paid Abraham's cousin to give Abraham's mom a birthday card saying it was from Abraham, even though people hadn't seen him for months. So when Detective Clark told Dee, Dee this, she flipped out and she demanded that she be allowed to call Cedric right then so that he could set the story straight. Now, Cedric had no idea. Correct. So they called, of course, from the interview room. It's on speakerphone. I am sure Detective Clark was like, oh, honey, I would be happy to have you do Here, this. Use my phone. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> but Cedric didn't know that he was being called from the police station. Correct. So when Cedric answered the phone, Dee Dee said to him, hey, you need to tell detectives that Abraham was the one who gave you this card. And on top of that, she said... I'll do what you asked me to do if you make all of this go away. So she says this in the recorded
1: interview while the detective is sitting in front of her. Correct. Okay.
2: He's still not budging. And so she then said to him, hey, if you admit the truth, I will give you bail money if you're charged with filing a false police report for reporting Abraham is missing. Despite this and not knowing the police were on the phone, Cedric said, I have not seen my cousin since April of 2009, which was eight months before this phone conversation took place. Now, on the recording, you then hear Detective Clark say to Dee, Dee that she was treating the signing of a birthday card like an effing drug deal. <laughs> and he's like, you know, the whole like cloak and dagger and you got to do this and you got to do that. And here's money and go tell her mom this. And I know you haven't seen him, but go do that. Right. But what Detective Clark said was what matters now is where is Abraham? This ends the minute I see Abraham Shakespeare. And just as an aside, Kathy, we later found out that when Dee, Dee said to Cedric, I'll do what you asked me to do if you make all this go away, what she was referring to is that Abraham had bought Cedric a home and there was a $200,000 mortgage on it that Dee, Dee was now in possession of. Mm. Even before this interview, she had kind of held that out as a carrot, saying, If you do these things for me, I'll make this mortgage go away, and you don't have to pay me back.
1: The most pivotal witness for the prosecution was a police informant named Greg Smith. He worked with the Polk County detectives to get evidence against Dee Dee Moore, and he testified at the beginning of the second week of trial. Greg Smith began his testimony by saying he was working for the missing persons detectives who considered Dee Dee Moore a suspect and helped them by recording several conversations he had with Dee Dee. So, Kath, this is how he became an informant. At some point, Dee Dee turned to Greg Smith for help. Greg Smith was one of Abraham's close friends. So, what she does is she says, "Hey, Abraham doesn't want to be found. Everyone's looking for him, but he really just doesn't want to be found. I'll give you three hundred dollars if you make a phone call to his mother, pretending to be him." So, Greg's like, "Okay, give me the three hundred bucks."
2: Three hundred bucks is three hundred bucks.
1: Exactly. So Dee, Dee takes Abraham's mother to a restaurant. So it's loud in the background, you know, all sorts of ambient noise. So Greg Smith calls Ms. Walker saying, hey, mama, how's it going? And she says, who is this? And he says, this is Abraham. And she's like, you don't sound like yourself. And he's like, well, I have a cold. And I just want to let you know that I'm fine and don't call the police. <laughs> you know, I Nothing was... Nothing
2: suspicious about that exactly, phone
1: call. exactly. Exactly. Even though Ms. Walker is suspicious, she does nothing about the phone call. She doesn't tell anybody. So now Dee Dee has to pay Greg for doing the phone call. Unbeknownst to her, she is being followed by the police, and the police see this transaction happening. So they pull aside Slipping Greg and they're dollars. Like, exactly. <laughs> hey, can you come with us? We'd like to chat with you. And so they basically conscript him to be an informant for them after he explains what Dee Dee had him
2: do. And what he also said is that. Once he made this phone call, he was getting really suspicious, and so he called Abraham. Abraham didn't answer the phone, but he immediately got a text back from Abraham that said, I'll call you in a little while. Now, Greg knew Abraham didn't know how to spell, and this was a perfectly written sentence with a contraction and a period and everything. Right, exactly. And so now he's suspicious.
1: Right. So when the police hit him up, he's like, sure. Initially, the recordings dealt mainly with Greg Smith pretending to assist Dee, Dee Moore in spreading rumors that Abraham was alive but in hiding. On one occasion, Greg Smith testified that he met Dee, Dee Moore in a hotel room. When he arrived, she was wearing a surgical type cap and mask. She had typed a two-page letter to Abraham's mother on the computer that she had purchased that day. Greg Smith read the letter in court. In part, it says, quote, I'm grown and I don't have to come back. I like being missing, just not being on the news. I've been through a lot, Mom. I trust Dee, but not with my address. She would tell the cops. She would not lie for me no matter how much I give her, unquote. The letter also instructed his mother to tell Dee Dee's son that he would buy him a car and send him money through the mail. Near the end of the letter, it said, quote, I don't want the cops to see this letter at all. I only wrote you just in case you're worried, end quote. As the prosecution played the recording, the jury could hear Dee Dee Moore read the letter that she had just typed as Greg Smith gave suggestions on how to make it more believable. The end of the tape was Dee Dee and Greg getting into the car and taking the letter to the mailbox.
2: A series of recordings that were secretly made by Greg also really focused on Dee, Dee continually asking Greg to find her a fall guy for the murder of Abraham. And this was during a time before Abraham's body was found. At this point, she's still professing that he's in hiding. She wanted Greg to find somebody who was already going to go to jail for some long stretch of time, who it really wouldn't affect then if he admitted to having killed somebody. So Greg had put her off for a while, but he eventually brings her a fall guy. Greg brings the Fall Guy to a meeting with Dee Dee, and the three of them are sitting in a car talking about the terms of what it will take for this guy to tell the police that he murdered Abraham. So, first they start off talking about cash. He asked for $50,000, and she said, Well, I can give you 10 grand now and then 10 grand a year because I don't have $50,000 in cash. And he's like, No. And she's like, Well, I could give you a house. He said, What am I going to do with a house? I'm going to prison. So what they ended up with was $50,000, but 10000 up front, and then $10,000 a year for the next four years that Greg Smith would make sure got to the Fall Guy's family. The Fall Guy had told Dee, Dee that he was willing to do this because he was already going to jail for 25 years on a drug charge. And therefore, he was willing to take the money on a payment basis for his family. Now, the other thing that this man demanded is that he needed to have the murder weapon and he needed to know where the body was buried so that when he confessed, It was believable. If he murdered him, he should know all of this information. Mm -hmm. He also told Dee Dee, you know what? Take care of it with Greg. Greg will get the information back to me. I don't want us to be seen meeting again. So another recording that we heard was Greg Smith and Dee Dee Moore. They were sitting in a truck at the property in Plant City that was being rented by the lawyer, Howard Stitzel. Okay. In the truck, she is heard giving Greg Smith a thirty-eight caliber handgun, and Dee Dee told Greg this was the gun used to kill Abraham. She also told Greg how to file away the serial number and how to wipe fingerprints off of it. So she drives him over to a concrete pad at the back of the property, and she said, this is where he's buried. And he said, hey, look, I don't want to get out of the car and take a chance that somebody's going to see me with you, but see that piece of rebar over there? Once you get out, pick up that piece of rebar and go place it on the concrete pad where he's buried, because this, remember, is a large 30-foot by 30-foot pad. Mm -hmm. So she did exactly that. She got out of the car. She went. Picked it up, placed it over a section of it, and she got back into the car. But for all that she was doing, she never once said that she pulled the trigger. And it was the next day that police started searching the property. The fall guy was actually an undercover police officer, and Dee Dee Moore was arrested the next day. I have an interesting side note on all of these recordings that were played in court during the trial. Greg Smith said that the first time he met with Dee Dee Moore after becoming a confidential informant for the detectives, he was wired up, right? He had a microphone on him. He had wires on him. And he said he was sitting in a car with Dee, And she started reaching over and like grabbing his arm and feeling his arms and kind of grabbing his shoulder. And he was like, what are you doing? And he said he knew she was looking for a wire. And so he kept pushing her off and pushing her off. And she's like, I'm checking for a wire. And he's like, you don't trust me? Well, if you don't trust me, I don't trust you. Get out of my car. I don't want to talk to you about this. So he came up with an idea. He drank, I guess, a lot of Red Bull. He cut the top off of this Red Bull can and he placed a bug on the underside. That's genius. He then kind of soldered the can back together. Mm-hmm. And then while they were in the car talking, he was actually using the Red Bull can as an ashtray as he smoked.
1: Oh, that's that's perfect. It was
2: genius. Yeah, I agree exactly totally, what you said. And totally. even the even the police detectives were like, that was brilliant. Yeah. Because he knew he would not be able to get away with having a wire on him right. while they were in the car. But why is she going to suspect a Red Bull can? Right.
1: That's so smart.
2: The prosecution
1: rested its case on the ninth day of trial. The testimony concluded with a detective telling the jurors that Dee, Dee Moore blamed her 14-year-old son for the fatal shooting of Abraham after first claiming that two other men did it. It was revealed during trial that Abraham's remains were covered in lime, which decomposed the body at a faster rate. His clothes had been stripped of zippers, buttons, and other metal objects, so ground penetrating radar and other devices would not be able to detect his body. After the prosecution rested, Dee Dee Moore decided not to take the witness stand, and the defense had no other witnesses. At the conclusion of the trial, the jury deliberated for just over three hours before reaching a verdict guilty. Minutes after the verdict was read, Judge Battles sentenced Moore to life in prison without parole. The judge looked at her and said that Dee, Dee was one of the most manipulative defendants he had ever encountered. Quote, after listening to all of this over two weeks, the words were said here, cold, calculated, cruel, manipulative. They all apply. You are probably the most manipulative person this court has ever seen. "'Abraham Shakespeare was your prey and your victim. "'Money was the root of the evil "'that you brought to Abraham.'" Outside the courtroom, Abraham's sister, Lynette Williams, said that the family was satisfied with the verdict. She said, he gets to rest, and now we get to rest. Florida appeals courts upheld the conviction of Dee Dee Moore in 2015 and again in 2019 calling her continuing claims of innocence, confusing, conclusory, and vague. She said she intends to continue her legal appeals, but since
2: 2019, there have been no hearings set. In 2021, the state of Florida considered legislation that would keep secret for 90 days the names of lottery winners of $250,000 or more, unless the winner wants to be publicly identified. Ironically, in March of 2022, when this legislation came up for a vote, Dee Dee Moore decided to express her support for this legislation and got headlines for doing so. She said, Publicly identifying recipients and details about big lottery payouts puts their lives at risk. It puts a target on them. During the Florida House hearings, State Representative Tracy Davis from Jacksonville cited news coverage of lottery winners from Florida and Georgia who were killed after claiming these large prizes. State Representative Davis, who was the bill's sponsor, said, at some point in our lives, we all dream of winning the lottery. Unfortunately for some people, that dream of winning the lottery sometimes becomes a nightmare. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you telling your friends, family, coworkers about the podcast and giving us your support. And if our appreciation is premature, please get out there and tell your friends, family, and coworkers. <laughs> we still
1: love doing this, so you're still stuck with us. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you can find us at Killer Destinations Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.